And we are back with a, another episode of Civil Discord, your weekly dose of radical curiosity. I'm one of your hosts, Amanda, the supreme overlord of liberty out here in the People's Republic of California. Maurice is currently valiantly battling a tornado. That's what I think is happening. Um, he's, he's fine. His I have not killed him, I promise. Uh, the, the power is glitching out on him, so he will join us if he can. In the meantime... I have two other fantastic guests, Nate and Charlie, from the Good Morning Liberty podcast. Thanks so much, guys, for joining us, for joining me, rather, tonight. Hey, thanks for the invite. It's good to be with you. Is yeah. it? Can we just be honest? It's that Maurice doesn't like us. That's why he's not here. Can we just get it out in the open? He, he has been out of the GML Discord for a long time, uh, but I have no I have no data on on whether or not he's he's changed his view of you. No, no, he's he's sad to skip that on Nate Fest. Skipped out on Nate Fest in, yeah. in uh, July, mm -hmm. and uh, you were there, Amanda. Thanks for coming. I was. And yeah, I flew out from further away. Yeah, he's <laughs> been. I I want to know if he's still alive. Honestly, yeah, I don't he think is, he actually exists. Definitely still alive. Uh, we have been recording episodes. I have been seeing his face. Unless this is a really, really, uh, really complex weekend at Bernie's kind of scenario. In which case, I'll just be impressed. I've never actually seen Weekend at Bernie's. I think that was the plot, right? Where the guy's dead and they're pretending he's not dead? Yeah, they're just carrying him around. And, and uh, of course, as, as you're carrying around a dead body, no one noticed really at all. You know, that they're just carrying around a dead body the whole time. Perhaps. Is it an AI Maurice possibly that you've been talking to? Perhaps he it actually uh, teleported into the metaverse. Could be. And he's the first actual human. Mm -hmm. So he can join you digitally sometimes, but I get it now. He's having trouble with his internet. Which, yeah. He yeah. can't be here. Yeah. He's part There's of the metaverse. an issue in the, his web three code. I was mm -hmm. going to say, so, he could just be in web yeah. three, but then you can't get out. It all makes sense now. <laughs> Guys, tell tell me a little bit. Obviously, I know about your podcast. My guess is that most of the listeners of Civil Discord know about your podcast, but you do have a fantastic podcast every day uh, when you want to called Good Morning Liberty. Um, so what is uh, what, what do you do there? What do you talk about there? Oh, that's so humbling. Thank you, Amanda. We uh, we appreciate that. No, uh, uh, Nate and I, I, I think Nate and I have been best friends for what? 20 years somewhere around there now uh, 20 if you don't count the best part okay yeah. we've yeah. we've known each other yeah. for 20 plus years and uh hate each other now but uh we decided to keep doing this it makes, show. The, it makes the pod keeps it honest it does chemistry. no but we uh, we we believe in uh life liberty and what we call the pursuit of meaning instead of happiness because we believe that despite um our trouble in convincing people that liberty is the best way uh, you can still take on some personal responsibility and create the best life for yourself and your family because at the end of the day you need to um well we believe in advocating for liberty but at to to which means we're not able to do so i think you still have a responsibility for yourself and and your family to try to do the, the best that you can practical things mm-hmm yeah, I would also say that uh, on the podcast, we like to focus, we do focus a lot on current news, as current as we can be. We normally cover at least a few stories. Maybe we'll squeeze in like five stories every day. I don't know. It depends, depends on whether or not we have time, but we'll do that. We focus a lot on economics, 
trying to disprove a lot of myths out there. We're very much in favor of the free market. Some may even say free market capitalism, if that's a word that we could still say. Uh, so we're very much in favor of that. And that's because we believe that people own themselves. We believe in the principle of self-ownership. So since we own ourselves, we should be able to trade value with one another and create that value and even keep that value. I don't, I don't know. Like and maybe he, even and, keep and some actually, of it. even more than that, I would say we care about people in general. Like we want people to be successful and to have health care and to be wealthy if they want to be wealthy and to be able to best take care of themselves and their family. Like legitimately, it's a concern for humanity as a whole, which is why we talk about the economics that we do because economics is probably the number one killer of, of humans besides, I don't know, maybe COVID. snakes and the yeah. COVID. COVID and racism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> COVID racism and maybe snakes, climate change snakes during the Neanderthal period. Yeah. Those are bad. Yeah. The predatory ones. <laughs> well, I like how you bring it up though, uh, not because the, it, <laughs> not the snakes, but, but I, I do, I do like how you bring up the issue of, of helping other people because uh, that that's one of the, the aspects of libertarian messaging, libertarian conversation that I think gets lost so often uh, where it's perceived as this way of, I'm just keeping what is mine Whereas, yes, that's important, but it, it's equally important to make sure that everyone has access to opportunity uh, and that we believe that this is the best way to have the most people um, get the most access to the things that are going to allow them to create their own meaning. Um, so I, I, I dig that emphasis. Um, yeah, there's a couple ways of thinking about it. Um, I, I've been reading a lot of Ayn Rand lately, and she would say that Describing it as this is the best way to, hope, to help the most amount of people would actually be doing the ideology a disservice because really the principle is that you own yourself, basically, that, that you're going to do what's best for you. Now, a product of that is going to be that everyone is going to have a better life or most people are going to have a better life and the standard of living is going to be raised uh, for the population as a whole. And so we do like to focus on the self-ownership part still, but we do like to also get across that a, a end product of that is that everyone's going to be able to have a better life with more opportunity afterwards. Or at least they'll have a chance yeah. at it. That's, I think that's the biggest thing. And I think you can, you can um, justify that by historical standards. I mean, it's not, it's not a coincidence that we've, achieved the greatest world possible really in the last 150 years um because prior to 1900 the the life the male life expectancy in america was 35 so nate you're almost dead i know i know 125 years ago so <laughs> yeah. i'm i'm and i'm grateful for that well you only got a year left i that's you how it feels sometimes make the most of it yep. yeah that's right but you all don't just do podcasts. You also do some, you've done speaking, you've, you've done various events uh, with, very, with, with, with varying levels of creativity in their name. Um, but usually, usually there's some, there's the word free is in there somehow. So you know, freedom, didn't you, y'all did, y'all did Freedom Fest, right? We did Freedom Liberty Fest. Liberty yeah. Fest, Pork, you didn't, did you do Pork Fest? Didn't, didn't do Pork Fest, no. I no, couldn't get no, past Liberty the name. Yeah. I know. I thought it was a barbecue festival, so I never really thought about it until the last year or so. Maybe next year. We'll see. Yeah. And it was inaccessible to me. Yeah. Yeah. 
but you did and, Fest, we've done young Americans for Liberty uh, conventions. That's a the other ones. Yeah. 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 We did the yeah. freer, freer future fest, mm-hmm. I believe as well. And so, um, yeah, so, we've, we've, we've been around a little bit in the Liberty circles, you could say. So we, at young Americans for Liberty, we talked about, it was about how libertarianism is the most compassionate ideology actually that a lot of these other ideologies would put forward that they want to help people and make their lives better and we just talked about actually uh, if you take everything really seriously then you would see that a libertarian ideology or a free market ideology it would actually be considered the most compassionate because it's been the one that's been proven to help the most amount of people if that's what you care about and then at free your future fest we did a real long talk about privacy as well and the idea that the people having privacy is a really good way to uh, kind of hold back a tyrannical government. And that, that was what I wanted to dig into uh, to start off with, with with our conversation, because privacy is this really fraught area for libertarians. You'll get, uh, and just liberty-minded people in general, you'll get some people who think that, well, you know, for instance, data privacy. If I'm using Twitter, then I understand that Twitter is getting my data and it's, it's part of how I pay for their service um, versus, you know, the, the right to consent to certain aspects of your information being disclosed. So I'm interested in where the two of you came down on, on privacy and, and what you discussed in, in, that, in that realm, because it's, so, it's, it's such a, a clouded area for me, honestly. So a really important part for people to remember is that, yeah, the, the big corporations are, they're taking, they know everything. They know more than we even understand that they know about us. And I think a lot of us have just kind of accepted that fact that they know those things. Um, the government, we don't know exactly what they know, but we know they have the capability to know a lot of things. Pretty much um, everything. Yeah, pretty, pretty much in everything, probably in a less efficient manner than the corporations do, but still know a lot of things. Um, you know, I'm I'm okay if we freely give that information to those companies like Twitter and Facebook and Apple and Google and all that. Do I like it personally? I, you know, I, could you even participate in any of those things without giving away that information? You probably couldn't. And we all make that value proposition when we use the various apps that we put on our phones. We decide, do I care more about privacy or do I care more about using this app? And most of us will make the decision to use the app. I've got I've got TikTok on my phone and they probably have the they probably already censored this conversation. And and but the government they can take that information and since they have power and since they have the use of force since they have that monopoly on violence, they can take it and do really bad really bad things with it. And uh, we talked a lot about them trying to get the information of people who were donating to different political action campaigns uh, to different causes. Maybe you want to decrease taxes, stuff like that. They want the they they want the organizations to put all of your information online if you donate to any of these causes. And of course, they started a really high number and they say only people who donate more than 10,000. You got to put their information online. We know how that goes. We yeah. know it eventually it gets yeah. down to, to 50 bucks or whatever. And then the question is, what are they going to do with that afterwards? Well, since they they've got the gun, since uh, they're the ones that that actually have the the use of physical force over you, it's a lot more dangerous for them to get all that information than it is for, say, uh, Facebook to get it. Unless Facebook just sells it to the government. 
I think well, I think that's the yeah. biggest that's the biggest distinction really is the use of force and the monopoly on violence that the government has. And so when it's when it's much easier to to take your liberty away and put you in a cage um, than it is for a corporation to do so, unless they do sell it to the government, like, <laughs> like you said, and they obtain it that way, uh, then that I think that becomes the the biggest distinction when it comes to uh, privacy. And you know, our founders knew this really well uh, because uh, you know back in the in the colonial period. Um, there, the king would send his soldiers or give the soldiers authority, so to speak, to just show up to your house and search anything they wanted just to see if you were up to something nefarious. Talk about writs of assistance right now. Yeah. Some of that. Old old school. Um, (laughs) and so the, the reason why privacy was such an important distinction is because the government, the government would become so corrupted just collecting information trying to see where people were going wrong rather than than using the suspicion um and well whatever the what the, what the fourth and fifth amendment require uh which is the spe- uh, suspicion of a specific crime and then specific places and persons to search mm-hmm. you know like they couldn't just get a, a search or you shouldn't uh, they do now but you couldn't really get, according to the Constitution, a search warrant to search an entire house. It has to right. be very specific, or it should be. Like, I want to search the closet in your master bedroom. Yeah. Uh, look at somewhere like Australia where they have you know, an app or something like that where they can ask you to send a selfie or they can look at your location or they could, they've got a list of people. They're going around to their homes and asking them whether or not they've participated in the protest. And so... The government needs all that information and they need to be able to uh, they need to know where you are at all times or they need to have a list of people that participated in the protest against what the government was doing. And so in that violation of privacy, they're gaining that power and they're they're gaining the ability to be able to control people afterwards. And so one thing that would really help Australians right now would be a stronger protection of their privacy rights. And if they wanted to protest or they wanted to go somewhere that they weren't allowed to go, uh, maybe they couldn't, uh, they wouldn't have to send a selfie or their location or anything like that. Privacy would help them out a lot right now. Yeah. And, but you, you bring up an interesting point because you said as long as the social media companies don't sell your data to the government. And I, this is a little bit devil's advocate for me because I tend to err on the side of, not regular. I'm very anti-regulation when it comes to social media companies, you know, regulating what they can and can't do with, with your information beyond that. It's contained in the terms of service, but when it comes to their ability to just give your information to the government, absent a particular warrant about a particular person, a particular act, like we see phone companies doing, for instance, under the Patriot Act or under auspices of the Patriot Act, that's where I get concerned. And is there a type of solution whereby government cannot ask for certain data dumps right? You need to have a warrant for me, for instance, you would need to have something that you thought that I did and a crime and a name and a certain area of, of data that you wanted to, to glean, just like you would want to search a certain area of my house for something, but not my entire house. Is there a specific, is there an easy or simple policy solution for that? 
I think it would be inside of the policies of that company. I don't know. I tend to, I tend to shy away of thinking that, you know, for instance, we're going to make a law that says that the government can't ask for that information from the corporations. And so what I'm trying to replace it with in my mind, as I'm just trying to come up with an answer to the question is what if they were just giving it to another company? Is it inside of their terms and conditions that they could just give it away to, uh, Cambridge Analytica, if they wanted to, if they wanted to do that, or is there something in the terms and conditions saying that they, that only they're going to have your data and that they're going to keep it protective for you. And what I would like to know is what companies are saying that they're going to protect your data from anyone other than them, uh, or which ones say, well, someone asked for your data, eh, we're going to sell it, something like that. And then what I would hope is that people would become knowledgeable of that fact and then still make those value decisions afterwards. Like Facebook says that if the government asks for your information, they're going to give it to them. And then we have a question to ask ourselves after that is, uh, do I still want to give Facebook all of my data or do I want to give Twitter all of my data? And you know what? Uh, at the end of the day, if we're still saying, yeah, I guess I still want to use this, even though I think they're going to give it to the government or they might give it to the government. I don't know. I feel like they're people are still making that decision to to use the app. I don't like it. I just and, don't have an immediate answer for how to fix it right now. Well, in my view, I think it still falls under the the fourth and uh, the fourth amendment. Um, so if the government were to obtain that data, whether it's given it given to them or they bought it, let's say um, anything of that to me, it would, it should be inadmissible in court as evidence against you because it was a, obtained without a specific warrant describing that they specifically needed that information from either that company or from you uh, specifically. I, you know, I go back and I think um, what would it be like in colonial times when our founders were writing this uh, principle for us in, in the fourth amendment. And I believe they did have banks at that time and could, it could a, a soldier or the sheriff go to the bank and just get all of the, you know, names and records and, you know, all that stuff. And I think the answer to that's no, um, they would have to have a very specific reason for that information, which would be a warrant signed by a judge so that that evidence would be admissible in a court. Um, and so I think to me, again, you're not really going to write a law that's going to restrain the government because the government just violates the fourth amendment anyway. I think the real issue is we keep electing the same politicians who keep uh, bastardizing that right uh, mm -hmm. and with with no regard because it's not really affecting their lives yet. Now, um, like you mentioned, Australia and uh, just happened this week in New, Br in New, Brun uh, New Brunswick in Canada. Uh, the government is now allowing grocery stores to um, not sell food to folks who are um, unvaccinated right now you know as a grocery store a private company and they can they decide not to sell you food because you know you're unvaccinated sure this um, is where I think you, you and i start, differ. <laughs> I, I, I think where you start to see these types of things happening where people have access to your your records um regardless that could cause some real significant consequences uh for those people um like what's happening in Australia, or you could argue New Brunswick or anything that the government could piece together and 
make you a um, a criminal based on different data points that they could sell to a jury that they shouldn't have even obtained anyway, or if they were to do it, they needed to obtain it legally and it shouldn't be admissible against you. But I, you know, it's a, it's an interesting thing because you posted a, a meme the other day about Julian Assange and everything that he exposed. Um, and so it's a, it's a very interesting thing how we've had, we've had Snowden, we've had whistleblowers before we've had Assange, we've had all of this exposure of the government committing crimes um, of a violation of privacy, among other things. And everyone kind of just turns, um, turns a blind eye for the most part. And so I don't know if there's a specific policy that's going to drive home the right to privacy. I think enough people are going to have to be affected to where, um, they're not going to tolerate it anymore. Right. And, and when you do point out, when you point out that the government is violating something or that some politicians are acting in bad faith, so often it is, it, there is no recourse for, for appeal because, well, the people who are in charge of enforcing the laws are the people who are breaking the laws. And that's a scary thing to realize in liberal democracy because you think that, oh, we've evolved past that. Now we have checks and balances. But over and over again, uh, we, we see governments that are breaking the laws that they're meant to enforce and people scream, oh, they're breaking this law, they're violating this and that and the other. Well, really, it doesn't matter if, if they're the ones who are supposed to be upholding it and they're you know, dumping on it. Uh, so in, on, in the first place, I think one of the, one of the things that people need to do is, is realize that and, and act accordingly. Um, and you know, just, just to refuse to abide by, you know, illegal enfor enforcing illegality essentially um and the other like like you just mentioned is getting different people and different uh you know with, with different views in office um and i know that's something that the two of you have talked about a lot as well and it's it's always a big debate between people who are small l or bigger or big l libertarians do you elect someone who is a Democrat and a Republican and then try to get policy change that way? Um, do you try to elect people who are libertarians? Do you try to change hearts and minds on the ground? And to that end, I'm wondering what, what mistakes are libertarians making in the way that they talk to non-libertarians about what they believe? And, and what are some ways that you've, that you've observed uh, that, that do work? What are some changes you'd make? So I, I want to add to the previous um, point real quick, yeah. which is uh, another point is I think the market will come up with solutions to this as they are, by the way, you have now Apple uh, making privacy a, um, a selling point of their products, even though maybe some of them aren't as um, private as we want them to be. But you also have other apps like I believe um, Telegraph or Telegram, something like that, that is end to end encrypted where not even the company can have access to the data and things like that. So you are seeing a market response to this as, as well with folks that do uh, care about privacy, especially from those that have exposed it. Um, and then to the, to the question you just asked, I would say all three things are important, um, which is advocating for um, any politician who, who, has, who holds liberty as a primary political value I believe that's what Jason Stapleton used to say all the time. Um, and I really like that 
So as long as they hold liberty as the primary political value of their campaign or, or anything that they derive policy from, I think those are people you advocate for. I think we need messaging for people on the ground. Um, and then I think we also need to figure out how we both win hearts and minds and foster the right kind of folks um, to affect policy change either through any way that we can, um, local level, state level, and national level, whether that's lobbying or actually being in office. I um I think one thing that libertarians do a lot that is wrong is they we we have like our libertarian utopia dream that that we know would just work out amazingly and we would all have amazing perfect lives and all that. But when you're talking to people who maybe don't spend all day thinking about politics or laws or economics or anything and you talk, you uh, you tell them that we're going to end the Fed or something. Well, first off, they don't even know what the Fed does. And it, also, if you tell them that taxation is theft, and so therefore you're implying that we're not going to have any taxes. Well, listen, taxation is theft. We'll say it because it's a true statement. If you if there's a if there's a factual true statement, you might as well say it. But when you say that to people, uh, they they have their entire view of this this safety that they think they have in front of them, which is the government uh, somehow keeping people from, I don't know, just robbing them and burning their houses. That Well, actually, I could have said that in 2019, but I guess people yeah. don't really feel that way anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, they they have this whole worldview that's getting... Peace, those peaceful protests. Yeah, mostly, mostly peaceful. Mostly peaceful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know about those. Amanda, you're in California. I, so, we have a lot, of, a lot of mostly peace here. Good, good. Um, when you when you tell these big ideas, these big sweeping statements to people, they're just really scary is really what they are. And they're like, well, how is that actually going to work? We're not going to be able to have any of this stuff. Is everything just going to collapse? Am I going to have my Social Security someday or whatever? The answer is no. Or am I going to have that someday? What we need to do is advocate more for a step by step process. And I think libertarians need to get better at realizing, as we've said a bunch of times on the on the show, that all of these liberties were taken one little step at a time over the past hundred and 150 years. And we're not just going to elect someone into office that is going to uh, restore our libertarian utopia, that this is actually going to have to be one back one little step at a time over the span of the next, hopefully not hundred and 150 years, but it's going to be one little step at a time, one little win at a time towards the proper direction. So what we need to do is know what the goal is, and we're all going to disagree a little bit on what the exact goal is, but maybe we can all ride on the train together for a little bit and get off wherever we want. But we need to know what the goal is and we need to realize that there are steps that are going to have to happen on the way towards that goal. So if you want to abolish the Department of Education, uh, maybe starting with school vouchers is a good idea or maybe, you know, pushing more for charter schools or whatever the case may be. Maybe that's a good idea. some kind of school choice. We need some school choice. And, and so what happens with libertarians is since I didn't just say we need to abolish the Department of Education and, and take all taxes away and not put any money towards any of that at all, well, now I'm not a real libertarian anymore. I'm not really worthy of being a member of the Libertarian Party. Uh, there's... It, you know, basically, uh, everyone knows not a real libertarian when you say stuff like that. And so then you're split amongst an already very small group of people that have almost no power already. And and so if we could all just realize that before we abolish the Department of Education, 
maybe we're going to have to get a couple school choice bills through. Something like that. Maybe we'll have to do that. And then maybe we'll uh, decrease some of the funding for the Department of Education. And, or maybe we can at least slow down the increase in the funding of the Department of Education first. Because it's, it's going up continuously, especially with the COVID stuff. Maybe first we got to slow down the train before we put it in reverse and not just uh, pull out the tracks in front of it that just turns into a, a big bloody mess. You know, and, and that's something. That we, there. Yeah, just staying right with it. And, and libertarians aren't really good at that whole incremental step thing. And I think that's I think that's why they are where they are right now. Now, I think it's important to have someone arguing what the end goal is, but I don't think we can expect that to really have any political effect where they actually get elected into power to do anything. But someone needs to be out there saying what the end goal actually is. This is what we need and creating competition for Republicans. So maybe a or a Democrat, whatever. So maybe a, a, a Republican district thinks more about putting a more liberty oriented Republican on the ticket so they could get some of the libertarians to vote for that person. So there's an element of competition that's important there, but hopefully that answers the question of, of what libertarians are doing wrong right now. It, it does. I, I think, you know, you, you make, you make a good point about the incremental change at the same time. And incre incremental change is just patently unsatisfactory for humans. And it, it seems like the thing that, that you would want ideally is to have that, that concept of incremental change being necessary, but at the same time, having a sense of urgency, right? Like we have right now, there are certain reforms that we should implement immediately. Um, there are certain school choice reforms that need to be implemented immediately and can be implemented fairly quickly. Uh, and then you, you go through with the, with the incremental change bit. Um, but that relies on taking advantage of, of if, if, if one can speak this way, taking advantage of a violation of, of liberties and saying, okay, well, this is what's gone wrong. This is what has happened as a result of people continually chipping away at liberties. We, you know, we have COVID as a very, very pressing example, right? People who have been um, put out of school for multiple years and then parents who are now being punished and marginalized for having, for staying home and looking after their kids while they stare at a screen and now they don't have a share in their child's education. That seems like a golden opportunity for libertarians to sweep in and say, hey, we've been the party of education. We've been the party of education choice. Give us a chance. Here are our policies. Um, and that satisfies the immediate aspect or the immediacy and then also then you can start moving toward that incremental change. But it, it's, it's hard work. I think when there's, uh, I think when there's, there's a, there's an emphasis on ideological purity among libertarians that can sometimes get in the way. You're totally right well, about humans not liking incremental change, by the way, it was just reminding me that I really, for the last couple of years, I've really wanted to lose 25 pounds. I really wanted to shed 25 pounds. And you know, a couple of years ago, I started this diet and I put in all my stuff and here's what I'm going to eat. And it says I'm going to lose one pound a month. That is ridiculous. Okay. It's not even worth And trying. now here I am two years later, the same size I was two years ago. And I was completely unwilling to lose a pound a month a couple of years ago. And I still want to lose 24 pounds. You'd be down okay? 24. Yeah. 20, 25. You got COVID I, though. Didn't you I lose did. weight for that? I think I did. I think I, it, 
all came back really fast though. Yeah. I made up, I made up for it. So when I had COVID, the only thing I could eat was ice cream. It's the only thing that tasted like it was supposed to taste. And so I think I balanced out the fact that I wasn't eating any other food with only ice cream. I think, I don't know if I'm going, I don't know if I'm going to disagree with your point. That's one thing about our podcast as well, though, if people don't know about it is sometimes Nate and I disagree. Do we? Yeah, sometimes. And I don't know if I'm going to disagree with your point, but I am going to throw in a caveat. And, and I think a, a distinction could be made here between <clears throat> whether we're talking about messaging or winning elections or, or winning the message at a local level or a state level or a national level. I would argue that Ron Paul, perhaps the the grandfather of, or the father <laughs> of Liberty in at least the nineties and, and early two thousands, um, even up to 2012, um, you know, Rand Paul had a campaign in 2008 and 2012 and became very popular, but with the radical ideas, with ending the war on drugs, with income tax being zero, with ending the wars, with ending the fed, he came out with these ideas. Not really. He didn't come up with them. I mean, they're part of libertarian philosophy and have been for a very long time, but he decided to campaign on radical things like in the Fed. Now, I know a lot of people don't know what that means, but when they heard it enough times and they heard this politician talk about this and people are asking him questions like, oh, what do you mean? It made them think, right? And Ron Paul brought a lot of people into the liberty movement being, in my opinion, a, a Republican, a yeah, a Republican, yes. But also he was uh, a populist, like he was very popular. Oh, we're going and with this a little early. Yeah, we're not Thursday. Yeah, I'm going to dive into the whole debate that Amanda and I have scheduled. Yes, but, yeah. Okay. But I will say that, uh, you know, Ron Paul was someone who basically delivered all the babies in his district. He was never going to lose his seat. So he's very popular among the people there. Um, and he came out with these radical ideas that drew a bunch of people to the libertarian movement because everybody was like, what are you talking about? Myself included. When I first heard Ron Paul talking about ending the Fed, I'm like, what the f is the Fed? I never even heard of the Federal Reserve at that time in my life. I didn't know that they drove monetary policy. I didn't even know when I heard that it was the Federal Reserve. I was like, oh, that's you know some kind of government agency that was created or whatever. Didn't even know that it was a private company, right? That was controlled by the Fed, um, by the federal government by appointing its board essentially uh, but it's still a private entity that can do what they want basically and so before he said all of these crazy things or let's say they're crazy no one really dove into to what they actually were he kind of brought he kind of shed the light now perhaps the reason why i don't necessarily disagree with you is because perhaps it reached the maximum amount of audience it could reach perhaps it it only reached the people curious enough to dive into them. It didn't reach, you know, Susan who lives on Apple street, who cares about her kid going to school or not, you know, cause she, she may not be paying attention to politics anyway. Right. Um, so I think there, there might be a balance between the, let's say the more radical end goal ideas and communicating them, um, on a national stage versus an incremental change in your, your, your hometown. Well, I feel like I covered that though, because I did say it was important that we have someone out there saying what the end goal is, because that pulls people in the right direction. 
And so that's the kind of thing I'm trying to cover with that is that it is important to be that person out, to have that person out there because you need to have kind of that line pulling people in that direction. But when it comes to the Ron Paul thing to burst the, all the, the libertarians bubble somehow, he was a Republican, uh, to burst all the libertarians bubble, what do we get from that? Do we have more liberty than we have when Ron Paul was running for election right now? Did we get a whole lot of wins when it comes to all that? Or do we have way less liberty than we have when Ron Paul was running? So did it work would be my question. And I feel like the state that we're in right now, I would say no. And my super uh, pessimistic, nihilistic view of Ron Paul is that he actually had a lot of people who hated corporations that were following him. They were mad about the bailouts and you throw in the Fed and he can throw in the Fed with that if he wants, but they're really bad because they gave the corporations money. That's why they're really bad. And I don't think they ever actually understood the the point that he was making. So I like to think that he did a lot of good stuff. He brought us into the movement. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. Well, I don't know what the alternate timeline is. Maybe someone else would have done it, but um, I never gave you corporations <laughs> money. So anyway, um, Time for the moderator to come back in. <laughs> well, no, I was, I was, I was, and by the way, to foreshadow, yes, uh, Charlie was, was jumping the gun a little bit because we have a debate scheduled on Thursday about populism and libertarianism. I maintain Ron Paul is, is not a populist. Um, I, I think that you can use tactics that are common to populists as well as others, but I won't, I won't give away too much of my hand. Um, <laughs> it, at the same time, and, and this, this is where you're right, is that, Ron Paul capitalized on certain issues, right? Uh, just like we could now capitalize on school choice in particular, but Ron Paul capitalized on the bailouts. Ron Paul capitalized on the war. And there were certain issues that were at the forefront of Americans' minds and were ready to, were, were primed, uh, as, as they say, that were ready to be turned on and used toward political purpose. Um and, you know, yeah, I think maybe you got a lot of would-be Bernie bros who were diverted away from, from the Bernie life because he was seizing on that anti-corporatism um, and making it clear that there's a, there's a difference between capitalism and cronyism and uh, bailing out banks is decidedly cronyistic and let's not get this confused here. Um, so, yeah, he, there's, I think, a time and a place where you see where the where the national conversation is headed, right? And you see what's, what are the issues that are really bugging people and where are the Republicans and the Democrats both lacking in terms of a feasible, attractive solution. And that's where I think figures like Ron Paul and other libertarian leaders, although Ron Paul, as you point out, was Republican, um, that's where, that's where they come in and say, Hey, here's our solution. And here's why it's better. And we know that this is not being attended to by either the Republicans or the Democrats. So, yeah, I point out the Republican thing because obviously this debate has still been going on in the libertarian sphere. And we were talking a little bit about the, uh, the strategy for small L and big L and all that. And I still think it is, it, if, if Ron Paul had stayed a libertarian, then we wouldn't be talking about Ron Paul right now. And I think that that's a really important point for people to realize that it did not matter what he switched his party loyalty, if you want to call it that, over to, uh, that his, the ideas and his actions are what were really important. And what I see 
when it comes to the Libertarian Party, they're doing their job. They're the party. They're supposed to get people supporting their party and run candidates for their party. So, But what a lot of Libertarians need to realize is that our goal is to get Libertarianism out there. And I think that we can use whatever the most likely vehicle is necessary for that. And just because someone runs as a Republican, I don't think that that means you couldn't vote for them if you're a Libertarian. I think you need to look at what that person's actual values are. I think to your point that probably the libertarian purity is the issue, one of the main issues. Mm -hmm. The fact that you're not a real libertarian, I, I think, you know, we need people out there talking about the end goal message, but we also need to encourage and applaud folks who are making uh, good incremental changes. Like, for instance, I think Rand Paul gets a lot of flack from the libertarian community or the prominent libertarians. Um, that he's not as good as his dad or whatever. But Rand Paul, we all know, would have been a way better president than either Joe Biden or Donald Trump. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like you you both need to take, uh, you need to obviously advocate for the end goal, but also encourage and accept the small incremental change as a way that we're moving towards that end goal. Um, because... It's going to take a lot if we don't um, if we don't end up in destruction anyway. I mean, it's it could be inevitable. I, <laughs> this could be yeah. a lost cause. I, well, I, way to I bring mean, it down. You know what? It, proceed as though everything is possible, right? I mean, if it's if it's a lost cause, there then it's a lost cause. So no use thinking that it's a lost cause. And if it's not a lost cause, then if you think it's a lost cause, then you bring yourself down. Um, yeah. Kind of. Well, kind of how I matter perceive my day. I'm going to, I'm going to fight no matter what. Mm -hmm. Right. But right. Just, you know. If the ship going down, we might as well talk about the ship going down. Exactly. Well, Ron, what yeah. else are we going to do? Sit in the corner and panic? Let's talk about the ship Play going down. This is interesting. Let's talk yeah. about how we could maybe <laughs> save it. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. No, Still agreed. know that the ship can go down. <laughs> and know, you, can, you can have both. Yeah. I, I've made this this point, uh, I think, in, in, in writing on a couple of occasions, but libertarians are, they have this weird problem that Republicans and Democrats don't because libertarians disagree on policy more because they, they have a unification in terms of principle, whereas Republicans and Democrats are very policy oriented. So they have a, um, they have a, um, a platform and they, they're going to they're going to try and get that platform enacted. But at the same time, there's a lot of divergence on well, what are the principles? What are the, what are the ideas behind it? Uh, libertarians have the opposite problem where they agree on, on principle, but they often have these squabbles about policy that leads you to say, oh, well, you're not a libertarian on this. You're not a real libertarian on that. <laughs> all right. I, we can all accept that none of us are real libertarians. We we know that. I don't know who the real libertarians are, but they're out there, I bet. Well, I, I think both the Republicans and Democrats do a really good job of playing the team game. Um, you know, like, for instance, if Bernie Sanders would have ran as an independent, um, you know, we would have Trump as president again. It's like or or perhaps he might have even won. I don't know. Uh, I don't think that was. I think we'd have Trump. We'd have Trump. But yeah. But, he, you know, Bernie could have ran as an independent in 2016 as well, and the Democrats would have lost. Or imagine if an, somebody on the Republican side didn't, um, you know, ship their support behind the nominee. Um, they do a really good job of playing this team game, making sure that their team is going to win no matter what. Um, 
And I don't think uh, libertarians do the same thing, nor are they really at that point. They're not yeah. at the level. They're not at the high enough level to even play that game. Exactly. Right now. And again, we're talking about national politics. I think it's good to to make that distinction because I think that uh, I've seen several libertarians get elected at local levels that are, that are impacting amazing change. For me, it's um, in Carthage, Tennessee, a little town of maybe a, of about 5,000 people where a libertarian was elected onto the city council. And now he literally puts all the budget items of the city on Facebook. And it's just amazing to see the transparency and the effect. Um, in fact, he called them out for spending somewhere around $20,000 a year at this gas station for sausage biscuits. You know, mm -hmm. he's like, why are we, why are we paying for this? Yeah, surely but, we can find the better deal. Right. What are we, what are we doing? Those little tiny things can really matter at a local level where, um, you know, I, I think we need to, f I don't know. I think we need to draw a distinction and then focus the messaging and attention on different aspects of what we're trying to accomplish and encouraging those little wins in Carthage, Tennessee, where hopefully those folks are maybe a little bit better off and, and, you know, those little libertarian things could spread throughout a little community of 5,000 people. And then maybe the County will start to hone in on some of those things and be like, well, damn, I wish we would have saved $20,000 on all sorts of biscuits. You know, we're still, <laughs> we're still buying, we're buying egg biscuits over here. I feel like over the last year or two, a lot of people have hopefully realized the fact that local politics is actually pretty important uh, because we have seen how important it is when it comes to a lot of restrictions that have happened over the last couple of years that your local sheriff said they weren't going to actually enforce that or maybe your city didn't have the mask ordinances when another city did and maybe your maybe your state left it up to the counties to do it and so the people that were controlling your county were pretty important and so I and even down the school boards, of course, people have realized that school boards are very important as well. And I hope we don't lose. I hope people realize. I hope they realize that they've been shown how important it is. And I hope we don't lose that because you want all of those things to be in place before this happens. You don't want it to be so reactionary afterwards where it's maybe too late in a lot of circumstances you want those safeguards to be put in place already. So local level, very important. Now more than ever, I think it's obvious. I mean, you know, thank God for federalism. Um, it's not helping me right now, but it's helping a lot of, a lot of other people um, who, who live in, who live in freer areas. And, and that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. I think you had a fundamental difference about, uh, or, or with respect to what various campaigns are supposed to be about. If you have a libertarian presidential campaign, that's a PR tour for liberty. And that's a great thing. And you should have that. You don't expect to win. And so that, that changes your talking points, I think. Um, and it changes your phrasing. Uh, whereas local campaigns, yeah, absolutely can be, you know, the, the prospects for victory are considerably greater. Um, but you brought up a little bit ago, um, how Republicans and Democrats are very good about gatekeeping, and they're very good about if they don't want someone to be elected, uh, they, that person doesn't get elected. Except weirdly, the Republicans with Trump. I, I, the Republicans did not want Trump <laughs> to get elected, and then he did anyway, and that was crazy. And Democrats are much, much better at, at rigging their primaries um, and their nomination process. I, I sometimes wonder, 
what it, it, you know, there certainly is a benefit for gatekeeping for party gatekeeping in some respect, but that also feels to, at odds with the idea that libertarians shouldn't be such purists all the time. Uh, so I don't know how, how do you, how do you sort that out? Well, I, well, Republicans and Democrats win because they have a lot of money a lot of times and what that allows them to do. We talked about data in this is the, the Trump was the obvious choice for the Republicans, even though a lot of establishment Republicans didn't like him. They ended up supporting him because the data was very clear early on um, through polling and other instances that Trump was going to be the clear front runner. I believe Vegas had odds on it before people want to vote for the person that's going to win too, because it puts them on the winning team. Exactly. Um, and so, and so I, I think be, and look, they, they know everything about you. They know, by the way, that I think it's 92% of Ford F-150 owners are going to vote Republican, regardless of who the Republican nominee is. Like, if you don't think these people know what you're going to do, they have a pretty good idea. Hell target knows when you're pregnant before you do. Okay. <laughs> They, the, this, the, your habits and the things that you do in your life are very, very predictable. Humans can be pretty predictable on certain things, especially when you have enough data to support it. And so what Trump was really, in my opinion, was just a middle finger to the, the overall establishment and government, not just your elected politicians. I'm talking about the 2 million people who are employed by the government that have nothing to do with actually being elected or not. And to the media. And course. to the media. And so they, the the writing was on the wall, I think, for the Republicans knowing when that data started coming in, realizing they didn't have a choice because people were going to vote for Trump regardless. And so I think they they were like, well, let's do the best we can with this nominee. We'll try to tame him as much as we can, but, uh, you know, let, let him go do his thing. And, you know, still, even in, in 2020, you had 75 million people vote for the guy that's not like trump is still polling at like 52 percent for the republicans right now too yeah yeah but that's name uh, wreck. that's a lot of that it, what's lot, that I, I was saying a, a lot of that's name wreck though is that you you have mm -hmm. everyone knows trump's name and so you're gonna you're gonna say oh i would vote for this guy whom i know but i hope republicans realize maybe charlie and i disagree on this and maybe us too that if Trump is a nominee, he's going to lose unless they put up. Potentially, he could beat Kamala Harris. I'm not sure. She's she's potentially so unpopular that she wouldn't win. But since uh, since I see that what I feel like is that no one really liked Biden. Maybe some people did. Maybe like 10 million people like Biden. I don't know. Uh, the rest of them voted against Trump. And so I, I think they're going to still get the votes against Trump if he was running again. But I think Trump will receive even less votes than he received the last time because of the dangerous and deadly insurrection on Jan 6. I think that he will receive a lot less and because people don't want to listen to their uh, their family members complain anymore about it. My wife was like, man, I hope Trump loses and she's a libertarian she's like i hope trump loses because i'm sick of hearing about it i'm sick of everyone being so annoying all the time i actually disagree i think he's gonna win in 2024 <laughs> it's I interesting i don't see it, man i, I, I mean, think he's going to people are just gonna lives. keep on talking about it. people are just keep, keep on talking about him he's out of office and for some reason everything is still trump's fault it's insane i, I guess because if, if it's not trump's fault then it has to be the current administration's fault and that can't happen uh, so it, mm -hmm. it needs to be Trump. You need to have some kind of scapegoat. And it's, it's the, it's, it's the left's conspiracy theory, which is, it's, it's nice for them. They have one, 
Um, the rights had them for, for a little bit. Libertarians have them for a little bit. So now the left has one. And that's always all about Donald Trump and Russia. Um, but and that's always been the case for political with with political parties, though. I mean, the, Trump was blaming Obama for the first little bit of his term. I was still seeing Republicans blame bad things that happened under Trump on on Obama and Obama blamed Bush for a long time. And I'm sure I'm sure Bush probably blamed Clinton. They were blaming uh, 9-11 on on Clinton for uh, for some of the things that they did later. So, you know, I just think that that's that's just what happens between people. It can never be your team's fault. It's always mm. the other team. Yep. You know, that's true. That is true. Um, well guys, we've talked for a little bit now, I guess, uh, we should probably wrap it up or start to, um, thank you both again so much for, for joining us. And again, sorry, Maurice couldn't be here. Um, is there anything else that the two of you want to plug, promote, uh, shout out, First off, I want to shout out to your guys' podcast. It's really good. It's on my frequent rotation for podcasts. So uh, great job on it. You two are very fun. You and AR, AI Maurice are very fun. <laughs> yeah. to listen Metaverse to. Maurice, yeah. Metaverse Maurice are very fun to, uh, to listen to. So I want to tell all of your followers and subscribers to make sure that they're following you guys on Twitter and and anywhere else and hitting the retweet button and the like button. You got to feed the algorithms. That way you can get the right messages out there to the right amount of people. Even if some people think that getting the message out is a terrible goal for people. Uh, I think that if enough people hear the message, a certain percentage, percentage of them are going to do the right thing. And so first off, I want to say that that's what all of your guys' listeners need to do. And um, when you're done with that, and they need to leave you a rating and review also on Apple Podcasts uh, because that is very, very important. One of our biggest jumps in listeners, by the way, occurred when we did a contest for people leaving us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. We had a massive jump in listeners after that. So that the one who who won that? I don't remember who won that one. I Maurice think Maurice won the stimulus. Yeah, yeah. Well, he Maurice won. won was that him I for the stimulus? I don't remember what that was for. I don't remember which one that was. Um, yeah, who's, we, who's Maurice? AI Maurice now, oh. <laughs> as he is apparently passed on. I don't know really what he's doing. But uh, other, other than that, they can go find our podcast, Good Morning Liberty, on any of the tyrannical podcast apps that are out there. And following on Twitter is always a good thing. That's actually where you get most of our very frequent thoughts is on Twitter. And so good AM Liberty, because Good Morning Liberty is too long. I th believe you guys have the same uh, issue as well yeah. with uh, Civil Discord Pod is what it is. Yes. Um, so good AM Liberty, very important place for people to go. And YouTube, is, you can listen to our shows every day, every day of the week when we want to, if you want to. But if you want to see our faces, which only... Amanda has the privilege of doing right now. If you want to see it's our faces, so wonderful. you want to go to YouTube and, and uh, watch all those clips on there. That's right. All right. That's, that's all I got. And you can, no, it's easy to find all of this. It's easy to find all of this on goodmorningliberty.us. Yeah. You can even go to America. Good, actually, Amanda, I could tell you the best link to put in for your show notes is goodmorningliberty.us slash listen. Sure. And that will bring up all of our, all of the buttons that people can hit. All, all the buttons that they can smash, right? Are you still smashing the buttons? Yes. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, so we, we, um, we retain no liability for destruction to any devices. And like, apparently that's what the kids are doing these days. 
pro smashing. Okay. Put you down for pro smashing. Thank you guys both again so much. And thank you everyone for listening. Uh, And we will be back again. Uh, I guess Nate's already done the fantastic monologue that Maurice usually does at the end of the show about how to subscribe and all that. So I won't repeat it. Um, You all have a wonderful day. And again, stay fierce.